Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. We're continuing our summer series on the book of Psalms, but summer is almost over, and so in a couple weeks we'll be launching a new series in the fall, and the series is called Resolute, and it's about having a tenacious faith in a time of tumult. See, it's tempting to think that the church right now is living through unprecedented change, but if you look down Uh, church history, all the way back even into biblical history, you will notice a trend. And this is the trend. The trend is that God's people have always lived through massive times of change. And so when we keep in mind the bigger story of which we are a small part, what we're living through is actually not that unusual. In a way, the Brothers and sisters in Christ who went before us would be saying right now to us, Welcome to the club, Hope Church. And so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at those who went before us, and we're going to ask what kept them steadfast in times of deep change. We'll look at ancient communities like the the people of, of God in the Exodus community, who wandered the desert, we'll be looking at the exile community who lived in Babylon, and we'll be looking at ancient people as well, like Ruth or like Abraham, ancient communities and ancient people, and they all lived, all of them lived through serious tumult, but their faith was tenacious, and can the same be true for us. And so I'm excited in the next 12 months or weeks to be going through this, and we'll be launching this in two weeks. And along along with this launch, we're planning to launch in other areas of creative mission as a church. Because here's the thing, guys. God is always on mission. He's always on mission. And what we're going to do is we're going to allow the, the challenges of COVID to propel us into mission, not to prevent us from mission. You know, if God is always on mission, then the question before our mind as a church is how can this moment actually compel and propel us into creative mission. And so I'm excited for that launch. But today what we're going to be doing is continuing our look at Psalms. And we're going to look this morning at Psalm 19. What I'll do is I'll read Psalm 19. You can follow along with me. We'll pray and we'll ask God to uh, speak through his word this morning. This is Psalm 19. To the choir master, a Psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth, in the words to the end of the world. In them He has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. 
and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, reinforcing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And yes, Lord, let my words and let our meditation be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. And Holy Spirit, anoint this time so that we would not simply learn information, but be transformed, transformed by your word, the very word here that is sweeter than honey. Would we taste it? Would we taste it this morning and see you, Jesus, the word of God? And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, right now I am planning a camping adventure with uh, my two older sons for this fall. And so I've been in the market to buy some basic camping supplies. You know, things like a tent and a camp stove and a lantern. And well, because of this, it's getting a lot harder for me to focus at work with my computer. Not because I'm choosing to be distracted, but because everywhere I look on my screens, there are advertisements for amazing tents and amazing lanterns and amazing camp stoves. I mean, how does my computer and my phone know? Even my wife's phone, and she hasn't been researching for this stuff. How, does, how do these things know that I'm in the market for these things? And how did advertisers get so good at adding their voice to every nook and cranny of my life? It's like when you're talking to a friend and then all of a sudden Siri or Alexa thinks that she's invited into the conversation. Has that happened to you? Uh, one author I read recently says it's as if our phones, when this happens, are desperate to add to the conversation. They're desperate for our attention, actively listening for an opportunity to, to, to add their voice and to say something. And that's just my phone, okay? It feels like there are a hundred different voices coming at me uh, these days. Have you ever tried to have a conversation at a restaurant that has a lot of TVs in the room? It's almost impossible to give your attention to the person in front of you, your undivided attention. And I think for all of us, life feels like this right now. It feels like we're sitting in a sports bar. We're sitting in a restaurant that has so many screens and so many voices talking to us and vying for our attention and for our devotion. I recently read that the average American encounters six to 10,000 advertisements a day. That's a day. In a waking day, we encounter six to 10,000 Thousand advertisements. 
And whether these ads speak to us from our email inbox or our social feed or our internet browser or as we're driving down the street or even from within our favorite TV shows, there are thousands of voices coming at us every single day. It's gotten so intense, actually, that I noticed a Kickstarter project from an article I read. And this Kickstarter is for something called IRL glasses. IRL stands for In Real Life. And when you put on these glasses, they block all the screens in your vision. They turn the screens into a nothing. A nothingness. You don't see what's happening into the screen. Uh, and, And so... These things are being marketed and people are wanting to buy this because they're noticing all these voices coming at them and they want to live in real life. And that's just advertising. There are so many other voices clamoring and vying for our heart's attention. Think of the voices from your past that are booming in your soul, vying for your attention. Think of all the voices in your present right now that are booming and echoing in your heart as they talk. And here's why this is important. Because we become the voices we pay attention to. Humans are voice-shaped. But here's the thing. This isn't a bad thing. God designed us this way. God designed humans to be shaped by speech. Yes, the danger is that humans would be shaped by bad speech. Not all speech is good. Not all speech deserves our utmost attention. But the opposite is also true. Some voices deserve our undivided attention. See, if speech shapes us, then we should give most of our attention to the speech that is life-giving. And that's what Psalm 19 is all about about the power of speech, but not just any speech, the speech of God. Psalm 19 is divided into two parts, God's nonverbal speech and God's verbal speech. God's nonverbal speech, which is the world around us, and God's verbal speech, which is God's word given to us. And I want to look at both in turn. First, with God's nonverbal speech, the word, the world of God the world of God. Uh, This is God's nonverbal speech, which according to the first six verses of Psalm 19 is the created world around us. Or what Derek Kidner calls the eloquence of nature. Let's reread verses 1 through 6. It says, The heavens declare a speech, the word of God, the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor are there words whose voice isn't heard. The measuring line goes out through all the earth, all their words to the end of the world. In them, God has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there's nothing hidden from its heat. So why pay attention to God's world, the world around us? Well, these verses would point to two reasons. 
First, because God's world points to an artist. When we gaze at anything in nature, fundamentally, we are looking at art. That's what verses 1 and 2 are saying. In fact, the word pours out in verse 2. Pours out. Day to day, day to day, pours out speech is literally bubbling over like a spring. What that means is that creation, nature, cannot help but point to the divine artist behind it. Author Tim Keller asks, Why do mountains and oceans, the sun and stars, move us as deeply as great art? The answer is because they are great art. In other words, nature is not an accident, it's art. It all points to a divine artist, and it says something about this artist. And as it says in verse 1, the glory of this artist, which is to say his power, his authority, his beauty, his wisdom, his worthiness of our trust, his worthiness of our worship, his worthiness to lay down our lives for him, his glory. God's world points to an artist. And then God's world points to a purpose. Verses 3 through 6. Verses 3 through 6 focus on the sun. And I like how Derek Kidner summarizes it. The sun is two things at once in this passage. Magnificent and obedient. Isn't that amazing? The sun itself is magnificent and obedient. It's so magnificent that people have been tempted to worship it. But it is not to be worshipped. Because it too, according to this verse, is created. It is obedient to its creation and to its creator and to its creator's intent. It's running a course day after day. And that course is set by God. And so the sun itself follows a daily track. And it follows this daily track in obedience and with festive joy. The imagery here is that of a wedding. And so when we look at God's creation, something like the sun even, we learn something about our purpose. The whole world is designed to be God-centered. But the God-centered life is not a dreary life. Like the sun, it's mirthful. Obedience to God's ways, running the course that God has set for us, is the surest pathway to the deepest joy. This psalm teaches us to give our attention to God's nonverbal speech. So allow all of creation to point you to God. The author C.S. Lewis describes being in a dark shed and then seeing a shaft of light coming through in the dusty air. And it's so stunning that he's tempted to only focus on the shaft of light but he allows himself to follow the line of light to the outside source, which is the sun. And that's how we are to look at the world around us. John Calvin called the world the theater of God's glory. The theater of God's glory. If you've ever sat down and and watched a play or watched um, some kind of um, concerto, that's what we're doing when we're walking in God's world. We are... We are observing something glorious, namely God and His glory. 
I have a friend who was a PhD candidate in mathematics, and he worshipped God when solving equations. He allowed the beauty and the eloquence of the equation to point him to the artist behind the equation. One of my favorite theologians of all time, John Stott, he used to give every staff member two things when they joined his ministry team, a pair of binoculars and a field guide for birds. See, everything from the field sparrow to Fibonacci sequence is a ray of light which can direct us to God's glory. And so looking at nature this way uh, will help us avoid two common mistakes. And the first mistake is when we denigrate nature. We might say that the world around us is just a jumble of meaningless atoms clashing against each other, or that nature is something that we can use or abuse for our own self-centered schemes. We denigrate nature. The second mistake, though, is to deify nature. We might see the beauty of nature and, and worship the creation instead of the creator. What this psalm encourages us to do is to allow the, creati- the creation to point us to the creator. To worship God in light of what he's created. And so pay attention to God's nonverbal speech. That's what this psalm is urging you to do. Pay attention. Give more attention to God's nonverbal speech in the world around you than the other voices that are clamoring for your attention right now. Wendell Berry would go on a walk every Sunday and he would write one poem about what he observed. Now, you don't have to do that exactly, but I like it because the point is pay attention to what God has made. Give God's nonverbal speech your utmost attention. And so the psalm teaches us to give attention to God's nonverbal speech, his, his world, but it's been said that nonverbals can be misread and misinterpreted. And so we also need to pay attention to God's verbal speech, his word. We need clear words. And if Zoom has taught us anything, it's that nonverbal communication is not enough. Sometimes we misread people by their nonverbals. And so we also need clear words from God. And so let's reread verses 7 through 9. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. So we're urged here to not just pay attention to God's nonverbal speech in nature, but to God's verbal speech in Scripture. We need the Word to interpret the world. And for two reasons. First, because of what God's Word is. These verses give us six descriptions of God's Word. First, it's perfect law. God's revealed will is flawless. The law of the Lord is perfect. Second, it's a sure testimony. The testimony of the Lord is sure. God's own truth is verified by God himself. God's word is right. The precepts of the Lord are right. God's voice is authoritative and straight. 
God's word is pure. It says the commandment of the Lord is pure. God's voice, in other words, is not a suggestion. It's unmuddied, and it's pure, and it's clear, and it's from God's authoritative voice. It tells us our response to God in His Word, which is, which is a, a reverence, a purified or clean reverence before Him. And then finally, the rules of the Lord are true. God's judgments or rules are dependable. And so we are to use the Word of God to interpret the world of God because God's Word is dependable and authoritative and true and perfect. God cannot lie. The second reason, though, we do this is because of what God's Word does. The six descriptions that we just read have six promises. Revival, so reviving the soul. Wisdom, make us wise. Joy, rejoicing the heart. Enlightenment, enlightening the eyes. I would call that flourishing because, as as Bible scholar Jack Collins says, for the eyes to have light or to be bright is for the person to be alert and to be active. So the Word of God makes us alert and makes us flourish. Endurance. So a life shaped by the Word avoids fads that come and go. And finally, righteousness. See, we need God's Word to interpret God's world. When I was first watching soccer, I fell in love with the beauty of the game. But I had no idea, because I didn't play it growing up, I had no idea what was actually going on on the field. It was beautiful, but I didn't quite know what was going on. And that's why I needed the commentators to tell me authoritatively uh, what, what, what I was seeing, basically. And that's how Scripture works. That's how Scripture works. As William Cooper puts it, God is his own interpreter. He narrates the world he made for us. And this is such good news, isn't it, when everybody is narrating the world for us? Recently, the New York Times ran a feature titled, No One Believes Anything, Voters Worn Out by a Fog of Political News. No one believes anything. We are hungry for an authoritative narrator of the world around us. And as it's often been said, nobody wants to be on the wrong side of history. But how do we really know what that is? Unless there is an authoritative narrator of the world in which we live. Well, this psalm says that there is the Word of God. And don't forget, Jesus is, in John's word, the Word of God in flesh. Jesus, as one author puts it, if Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, then the only way we can be sure that we are on the right side of history is if we belong to Jesus and if we follow His voice. If His voice have, has, has precedent over all the other voices in our world, if His voice, if we give our utmost attention to His voice over all the other voices, helpful or unhelpful as they are, then we are indeed in the right side of history. He is the Alpha and the Omega. And as we just read, the law of the Lord is perfect. And so if the first six verses urge us 
to take a daily walk through creation. The next verses urge us to take a daily walk through Scripture. We need to make sure that we're orienting ourselves to God's Word and to the living Word, Jesus Himself, giving most of our attention to God's voice and learning His accent and learning His ways. Uh, these days, there's so many good resources for this. Uh, there's reading plans to get you in the Bible. Uh, there's Bibles with just enough study notes to keep you uh, oriented. Um, I asked once a spiritual hero of mine uh, what he did to stay in the Word continuously, and he didn't have an elaborate study session like I thought he would. Instead, he told me he went on a daily run, and as he ran, he listened to an audio Bible. Your attention, friends, is limited. And so give it first to God's speech. Remember, you are shaped by speech. And so allow God's speech to shape you in this season. These last five verses of this psalm tell you what happens to you when you allow His voice to shape you. Verse 10 says, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Two things will happen to you. Deep humility and deep hunger. So first, you will become more humble. The more you study God's Word, in other words, the more you will let God's Word study you. That's what happens in these verses. The psalmist gets humble. It gets, he gets humble in light, of, in light of God's speech. He says, there's sins, both presumptuous and unknown. And, and you become sensitive to that. And you lament that and you confess that. You let God's Word study you. You don't stand above it. You stand under it. In fact, you kneel under it because you know He is a God and He doesn't lie. And because, you will, and, and, and because of this, you will realize two things. In the words of Jack Miller, you are more messed up and sinful than you ever thought and you ever realized, but you are also more loved than you ever dared hope. See, these verses show what really happens when you let God's Word have its way. You're made humble, and so you ask forgiveness for both known and unknown sins. But by it, by the same word that humbles you, you are also declared innocent. Look at verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent. You can be declared innocent by the very word that makes you humble and exposes your sin. How is that? Well, it's when you see in God's Word that the Word became flesh. Jesus, who is the perfect Word, died for all of our harmful words, for all of our deceitful words, for all of the words of blessing and justice that we never spoke. Why? To make you innocent, to declare you innocent in God's eyes. And when you see that the very word that convicts you of your sin also died for that very sin, that makes you humble. That makes you humble. And so you will become humble. 
but you will also become hungry. When you give your attention to God's Word, you will become more and more hungry. More hungry for God's Word, that's the promise in verse 10. More to be desired is the Word than, than gold, than fine gold, than honey, than the drippings of honeycomb. You will become more and more hungry for God's pure Word. But you'll also become more hungry for God Himself. You see, the Word of God and God Himself are so very closely connected in Scripture. Because what God says, God does. And what God says, it's so connected to His character. Unlike us, we use words to deceive and manipulate. Our words are so diluted, aren't they? But but that's not true with God. God's words are so pure and so clean and so... Um, evocative of who he really is, that we start to hunger after God himself when we encounter his word. You see, to obey God more and more is what will happen when we're shaped more and more by his scripture. In fact, the very last verse, which I, I like to pray every single Sunday before his sermons, it says, it says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, that's everything about me, be acceptable in your sight. And that word, be acceptable, is sacrifice language. It's Old Testament sacrifice language. Except this time it isn't an animal. It's our very life. And this is saying that if we're shaped by God's word, if we give our attention, our utmost undivided attention to God's speech, then what will happen is you will become more and more able to give God your life. You will give Jesus a blank check. Because his word is so trustworthy and so life-giving. Because in Christ we learn in the true word that God is our rock and our redeemer. In Christ, God is not our enemy or accuser. Because of what Jesus has done. Not because of what we have done. Because of Jesus, the true word of God, the word who lived and died and was raised for us, God is now our friend, our, our refuge, our rock, and our champion, one who fights for us. And as we read earlier, one who actually sings over us as well. And when we let that sink in, we will do anything for such a God as our God. Friends, there is a battle out there right now for our attention. And it's a battle of voices. Which voice will you give your attention to? Only one gives you life and joy. So God, we pray right now that we indeed would give our undivided hearts to your word. Create in us the humility that's promised in this psalm. And create in us the hunger that is promised in this psalm. We want to hunger more and more for your word. And Jesus, thank you for living a life of perfect speech as the true word of God and dying for all of our imperfect and sinful speech. And so, Lord, we pray with the psalmist, would the words of our mouths be pleasing and acceptable to you because you are our rock and you are our Redeemer. And we pray this in our Redeemer's name, Jesus. Thanks for tuning in. 
For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.